Last week, we learned some very disturbing news about Yehuda Meshi Zahav, the founder of Zaka, and somebody who was frankly a hero to many people in Israel, religious and secular, somebody who served as a bridge between different Jewish communities as well as between different sectors of orthodoxy. And Haaretz came out with some very serious accusations regarding sexual abuse and sexual misconduct on Meshi Zahav's part. It was disheartening. It's quite depressing to watch someone regarded as a hero fall off the pedestal. And Rabbi Yaakov Haaretz contacted me today to do a special Orthodox conundrum about how we can use this as a teachable moment for our children and frankly, also for ourselves. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. I'm Scott Kahn, here with a person I'm very proud to call my friend, Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz. Rabbi Horowitz, how are you today? Fine, thank you. I'd rather be discussing other topics, but uh, this is a very important one. It is indeed. And we're having this short but important discussion tonight at your initiative, which I thought was a wonderful idea. It's about the recent news about Zaka founder Yehuda Meshi Zahav. Now, let me be very clear to everyone watching and listening. I don't know the details. I believe that Rabbi Horowitz also does not know the details. No one really knows the details right now. Details are still emerging. This is not about anything specific that we know about the situation. What we want to talk about is that a major public figure, a person regarded by many as a tzaddik, a hero, suddenly had a major fall. And many of us within the Orthodox community, seeing this seemingly exemplary person fall, wonder how to discuss this with our children. And it's a very serious problem. And in fact, let me open up the discussion about Horowitz by telling you a story. I did not tell you this before, but the night that it happened, somebody messaged me and said, you won't believe the news, what he just saw. I couldn't believe it. I then ran up and told my wife. And my 11-year-old daughter, in her bedroom down the hall, overheard something. So as I left my room, she said, Abba, what happened? So I kind of hemmed and hawed, and I said whatever I said, nothing that was particularly brilliant. I said, oh, somebody that we thought was a really great person did something which is not a good thing or something like that. And she said, well, what did he do? And I'm not proud to say, but I didn't really have a good answer for her. I kind of, I, I fobbed it off with whatever. I did not tell her anything substantive that would lead to a more uh, important discussion. And Rabbi Horowitz, I know that you told me that this is an opportunity. It's a teachable moment, a chance for parents to really begin a conversation about difficult topics. Normally, we have to open it up. But now if our children are opening it up, this is a chance for us to really have a serious conversation. So what would one say to one's child? Yeah, exactly. So that, that's the, mo the most important thing for parents out there to, to understand is that Rev Scott's reaction is perfectly normal. Most none of us want to have these discussions with our children. The reason that this is such an important conversation to have now is because the reality is that we're never comfortable having these conversations at any time. And what happens is this lends itself to a discussion because it's on the minds of the children. Think of it in any other way. When would you rather have a discussion? Your child's not interested in math and suddenly you're applying for a mortgage and you got all these papers on the table and he or she says, hey, what's that all about? And you say, well, I'm thinking about doing a 30 year or a 20 year. And all of a sudden you have a real math conversation. If you call that child over and said, come on, let's talk about math, are you kidding? Right. So all of a sudden 
this situation, again, as you said at the beginning, it, it, it is not about um, this particular accusation. I don't know anything, just as you don't, we don't know anything other than what we read in the papers. And he's entitled to his you know, presumption of innocence and his day in court, but it's out there in the news. He is a very public figure, a very, a very revered figure. Like you said, he's, uh, you know, certainly, you know, Yehuda Meshizov just won the Israel Prize, which I understand he returned, but it's a teachable moment. So I encourage parents to move away from the, I don't know, to say, well, there are accusations against a very prominent person, this and this person, um, they might know, they don't know. If they don't know, then you don't, the name it might not be important either, but then you come up with with mentioning that he was accused of of abuse, and abuse is when people, when some someone's space is invaded, and then you can have a real discussion about boundaries in an age appropriate way. And uh, I'll go through what those major points are. We have a, a free nine nine minute video that's available in English. We have one in Hebrew subtitles that I really encourage everyone to watch. Um, I'll give you the cliff notes here, the shorter version. Please do. But the real discussion is, number one, that it happens. Number two, it, it could happen to anybody could be an abuser. Anyone. Anyone, including public figures, including people that we revere, including people who have a rabbi in front of their name, including elected officials that we look up to, or, or athletes. It doesn't make a difference. This is not only something like a sin. It, it's it's a sickness and people are are doing evil things and and that's really the message because forensically when we look back on many of the situations where people get caught after abusing dozens or even hundreds of people you say well how do they get away with it for so long a lot of it has to do with the fact that we make a we we judge by what we see and uh, the piece that i put in times of israel on on friday uh, I wrote primarily about the, the halo effect. A, a halo effect is, in the original research was done in the army, they discovered that handsome soldiers and good-looking uh, soldiers got better grades, not only on things that were like, you know, fungible, like leadership, but even right. in things that had data. Should be objective. And it goes with grading tests. You know, if you grade professional tests, they do all number ones first and all number twos and they cover the name because if you had a star student in your class and they write something that's, that, that doesn't seem to be 100%, you'll read it into the words because you know they know everything. Since he knows everything, he could not have gotten this wrong. It must be just, he must have made a mistake. He clearly knows the answer. And here's where the rubber meets the road of Scott. I, I tell folks, imagine you have a Bakriya in Shul, the one who reads from the Torah, commonly known as Balkaria, right? If someone's reading in the shul for 35 years, never ever made a mistake and he makes a bad one. I could almost guarantee you, Yankee won't correct him. Right. I don't know about Rob Scott, <laughs> but most people would be very, very- I'm a tough guy, but you're right. <laughs> No, I know you got it. No, but you're you're reluctant to say anything. You'll say, well, but I, I must be wrong. I must have made the mistake. I must have made a mistake. My eyes, the glasses aren't working. Or maybe his grandfather has a different Masora. Right, exactly. You're not going to have the courage to get up there. And that's what happens when people, uh, again, I'm not speaking about this case, but you find people in positions of power who are widely respected get so much more latitude when they uh, break down the rules of Yichud, 
And that's another great discussion to have with children. The, the laws of Yichud, that we're not supposed to seclude ourselves with people of the opposite gender. But you say he is such a distinguished person, uh, can't be. No, it, me it means for me, it means for you, it means for everybody. So these are the messages to kind of break that halo effect. And it's great, you can explain to the children you know, sometimes people who are very prominent and very, well, we, we, we're horrified when we hear the news. A lot of it happens because we often assume that they're beyond doing a horrible thing like this. Then Rabbi Horowitz, let me ask you something just about that particular point. When I talked about this talk that we're going to have with my wife, Eliza, she asked me, and I'm passing on the question to you because I don't have an answer. How do you balance giving healthy fear with making kids terrified? Like, you don't want the kids to be afraid to go out the front door because everybody's a potential abuser. On the other hand, it's good to sort of say everyone could be an abuser. How do you make sure an 11-year-old, for example, has the right kind of fear, not the wrong kind of overwhelming fear? So, you know, our chacham beat, beat you to it. The kabdeyu v'chashteyu, that's what it means, right? Kabdeyu, right. give kavod, v'chashteyu, but be suspicious. Um, that's as complicated and as simple as that. Mm -hmm. You tell them, look, of course you should respect people who are worthy of respect. You give them the benefit of the doubt as globally, and we should treat them with respect. But if you see a person of respect comes and tells you something that wouldn't be okay with someone else, then it's not okay for he or she. It's, we, we keep speaking about, you know, males, but, you know, women abuse also. So, right. I mean, it, the rules apply across the board. And it, it's such an important uh, lesson to get across. We was uh, our oldest grandchild became bar mitzvah a few months ago. Mr. Shemba, you guys. And when I first started working in this space, like it was shortly after he was born. That's when we published our first book. Our child safety book. And one of the things that I told him when I, you know, horse, horse play with, with grandkids, like everybody else, I would always say, if Zaidi does something that you don't like, please tell me to stop. Always. I always tell it to all the grandchildren, male and female. I always say, if, you know, if you, if, if anything I do that makes you uncomfortable and they, they've done it. And they have, you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I mean, the first time it ever happened to me, I remember it was on Shavuos. And before we went to Shul, I sat down and putting to sleep. I read the three little pig story and I, I was huffing up puff with my own children. I was blah, and I blah. And he, he taps me on the hand. <laughs> he couldn't have been more than three, maybe even younger. And he said, Zaidi, please, please don't blow on me. I don't like it. And I said, thank you. And it was, first of all, it was a good lesson for me. But, but this stuff works. This child safety stuff really works. I don't mean to get too personal, but I'll just say, for example, with my daughter, you know, again, Abba, daughter, horsing around, playing around. And she would sometimes say, oh, no, don't do that. And then I would stop and she goes, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I want you to do it. When I say no, I mean, yes. And I had to teach her and I'm still working on it. No, no, I have to explain to you. When you say no, I'm going to assume you mean no. You can't have ambiguity when it comes to no. When you tell me not to do something, I'm going to stop doing it. Even if that's not what you really mean, because you have to understand the word no means no. Yeah. And I, and I want to go back to what you what you said, what you mentioned with with your wife about the about the question about the anxiety. Dr. Pelkowitz, Dr. David Pelkowitz was kind enough to mentor me through all uh, my tremendous learning curve in this space and who went over every word and every image and everyone on the, in the books for us. He was amazing. And one of the things that he was, when, it, when we were designing the book, the child safety book, we made sure that none of those images were frightening. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Pelkowitz quoted research that shows that if parents frighten children, 
the fear crowds their brain and it doesn't allow them to absorb the information. And I extrapolated from that. When I do my child safety classes, I never start with a scary story. It would get their attention. If you watch me, I got the cardigan sweater. I said, relentless, I'll give you the tools. Always, I always start like this. Look, I'm going to give you the tools to be able to do this on your own. It's eminently doable. This stuff works. Research shows that one conversation makes children six to, six to seven times more likely to exhibit defensive behavior with, if you do follow up on that. So, you know, to give them the tools. So we shouldn't frighten the children just like I shouldn't frighten parents when I talk to them. So it, it, not only you don't want to frighten them, it doesn't work. It works less. He, Dr. Pelkowitz said, if one to 10, 10 is the most elevated level of concern. He said like two, three, four is about right. Enough mm-hmm. that it's important, but not enough to frighten them and, and that th- these rules should become part of their lives. The four basic rules of child safety while you're speaking to your children, uh, no secrets from parents, that uh, children are, are never allowed to be told by anyone, a school principal, uh, a teacher, a relative, this is between us. That's, that's absolutely out of bounds. And it's a tremendous red flag because that's one of the things abusers do. My body belongs to me, the, the notion of ownership of personal space. Um, and just to teach the children that just like they have things in their room and their house that belong to them, that their body is theirs and they have ownership and have the right to tell someone else that you can't do what you want you know, with, 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 with my body if I don't like it. And, and there again, research shows that, that just giving children their drawer, own drawer at home Mm-hmm. Or telling the kids to knock when they go into each other's rooms makes the children more attuned to invasions of the personal space. Interesting. Okay, good touching, bad touching. Some touching is okay, some touching is not okay. Spot covered by a bathing suit. Um, you know, limit the exceptions when you tell it to children. Don't say uh, no one should touch you in a private space except people in our family, because unfortunately, the research shows that it's usually that inner circle, close friends or family. So, so keep it very tight. You know, the only ones who can touch you in a private space is, you know, Abba and Ima when we're bathing you, you know, Sapta when we're over for a visit or doctor when we're in the room. Very, very narrow window of people uh, that are exceptions to that rule. And you say, when you'll get older, you'll be able to do all this yourself. And then the fourth rule is no one has the right to make you feel uncomfortable. If you're feeling uncomfortable for any reason, you have a right to get out of there and we will support that right because very often the fourth one is the most difficult to teach and it's perhaps the most important because the kids um, usually long before the abuse takes place, the children are being groomed for that abuse and they start having this ucky feeling and whether it's physical touch that's not abuse or, or you know, uh, someone touches them on their shoulder, kids don't have the language to say, well, oh, it wasn't a private spot. What? Oh, okay. No, but that's not what it was. But I felt uncomfortable. Why? They might not be able to tell you that the hand was lingering too long, uh-huh. but they were looked at in a certain way. So you just teach them, if you feel uncomfortable, get out, we will support you. Those are the four basic rules. There's a nine minute video, like I said, we'll both post links to it yes. uh, afterwards um, to be able to get the, but, but this is the message. The message folks is that if your children are talking about it, Again, you can make a decision as parents whether you want to tell them about it uh, or not. But certainly, if the children are talking about it, it's a great time to have these conversations that you should have with them. And especially the teenagers often look at these rules as the child safety is something for little kids. But boys and girls, perhaps especially girls, 
uh, once they get older, it's, it's a different type of conversation, but it's the same concept about their personal space and about, you know, uh, uh, body awareness and that they should un- understand all of these things. It's a very difficult conversation to have, but now that we have the opportunity, sad as it is to have that opportunity, it would be a shame to waste it. So I absolutely appreciate your telling us that. I have one question to ask you before we sign off, which is sort of a side point, but I'm just wondering, it's, it's not really about this particular topic, but it's about this larger topic we're talking about, when heroes fall, and how we tell our children about that. And telling children, telling ourselves, sometimes I feel, okay, you know, what shoe is going to drop next? You know, you're just waiting for every every single hero we have to be knocked off the pedestal. We tell people that certain people are worthy of respect. We tell ourselves that certain people are so important. And then when heroes fall, it can be very disheartening, both for us and for our children. What do we tell ourselves? What do we tell our children when a hero falls? Rev. Scott, that's, you know, that's also part of, living life, you know, part of living life is realizing that the rules apply to everyone across the board. And that ultimately at the end of the day, everyone is a human being and you don't know what's, what's going on in that person's mind. And, and that person may have been, I'm certainly not excusing any type of abuse, but you don't know what this person went through as a child, you know, a God forbid, the person, uh, an abuser could have suffered trauma that doesn't excuse it and we treat them the same, but you never know what's going on in someone else's mind and you never know what type of illness people has. Just like we understand that people could have a disease and, and you won't notice it. People could be very, very sick and you don't know it. It is a disheartening conversation. None of us want to give up all the naivete of our youth, right? right? And, and, and it's a painful thing for us you know, I remember Dr. Mel Levine was somebody that, that I learned a lot from. He was, a, a, for those who don't know, he was a rock star in America on, on uh, learning disabilities and treating all children equal and equally. 40 years ago, he was talking about this, 50 years ago. I went to seminars of his and uh, allegations came out a, a number of years ago. Ultimately, he shot himself. He killed himself um, just very shortly after they came out. And I was devastated, like, and I, but that's the way it is. It's a healthy part, I guess, to know that not everybody is perfect. There's just, there's really, there's just no other way to, 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 to do it. So, you know, we have to internalize this ourselves and, and it's a hard pill for, well, imagine how difficult it is for children if you and I are having a hard time with this. Oh, of course. It's almost a side point. It's extraordinarily silly, but there's something which was, it, it touched a very deep, raw nerve in myself. Um, I don't know if you do tooth fairy with your children. For us, when our kids lose a tooth, we do the tooth fairy. It's, you know, and of course, later on, they know very, very well who it is. Uh, they still think it's their mother, but it's not. <laughs> but I remember one time I had a little kid, one of my daughters, um, and she lost a tooth. And, oh, we tell me to put a note underneath the tooth fairy. I forgot. I forgot to put the money under her pillow. And she woke up the next morning. And she told me she didn't come. The tooth fairy didn't come. And as silly as it is, I remember it so well because that loss of childhood innocence, the fact that something that you looked forward to or something that you believed in wasn't real or whatever it is that was going through her very young mind at that time, 
that is a tough thing to deal with. And when it's something that's actually real, people that we had real confidence in, people who we looked up to, and they're not what we thought they were, that is a very tough pill to swallow. The fact that I remember this silly incident and it really did something to me tells me how hard it is to lose that childhood naivete, tells me how hard it is to give up that childhood naivete and how hard it is for parents to see that naivete leave their own children. I did a talk with the police chief in Tenafly, New Jersey. I just checked Chabad.org had it, but for some reason it's offline. I'm going to post it if I can get it back from them. I spoke and then he spoke. He was fantastic. And one of the things he said, I'll never forget it. It made such an impression on me. He said, I, I wrote it in the Times of Israel piece. He said, when you see something going on, he said, it, not whom. What do you mean? Judge the action. If you see a suspicious act, in other words, what we do, Scrub Scott, is we, we make a little hybrid there. We take the information, like with the Bakriya and Shul. Mm-hmm. Is he reading the Torah properly? And what do we know about his past? And we take these two things and we mix them up and we come up with a verdict. Right. You know, the example that I get. It's the halo effect all over again. That's the halo effect, right. So you make these judgments based on both of these things. Example I gave was somebody taking money out of a charity box in shul. You come to shul in the morning, you're the second one in shul. First person in shul is standing at, at the bima, taking money out of the, char- out of the pushka, out of the charity box. So do you call the cops or not? It depends. Right. If it's someone who looks like you, if it's someone who's an honorable person, you say, well, he had a larger bill. He put it in there. He's taking change. If it's someone suspicious looking, you call the cops. So the it was exactly the same. The whom made you decide what to do. And he said, you just imagine, I found this to be a, an effective exercise. Rather than saying, well, just ignore that. No, just make believe that the same action was done by someone suspicious looking. If someone suspicious looking told you, I'll take you out for a drive at 1030 at night, or don't tell this to your parents, if it was somebody frightening, you would get scared, but it's he or she. That's, that, that's really the, the most important message. So parents out there, I, I really wish you Muslim bracha. Please take advantage of the video. We also have books. We have child safety books that are in Israel for, for the Datilumi community and for the Haredi community. We have, it's Masha Betuach Batuach. Um, I actually bought, this is the Masha Betuach Batuach is, is the Haredi version. And Levetach is the, is the Datilumi version. They're in Yefeinov stores and Feldheim stores all across the country. Uh, for bulk orders, you contact Stuart Schnee. It's stu, stu at but really, parents, there are so many great tools out there. Educate yourselves, then educate the children. Try not to be too frightened yourself, and certainly don't frighten the kids when you talk to them. I wish you all mazel and bracha, and uh, I hope that we use this very uncomfortable situation for a, a genuine learning opportunity. I mean, thank you very much, Rabbi Horowitz, for talking to all of us today. Sure, my pleasure. Please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum podcast, share and tell your friends about it, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out. Join the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook and like and follow the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook. Visit jewishcoffeehouse.com to find some of the best podcasts in the Jewish world, including Chochmat Nashim, Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. Please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more.
Over the next two weeks leading up to Pesach, I'll be releasing a large number of special bonus podcasts with insights into the Haggadah exclusively for Patreon subscribers. So please sign up today. You'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Finally, if you are interested in having your own podcast, Jewish Coffeehouse can help make it happen. We will assist you with anything you need. We can teach you the skills to make a podcast that sounds as good as an FM radio show. We can help you with recording, editing, music, graphic art, promotion, and more. We can give you tips on podcast styles, interviewing hosts, guests, and everything else you need to make your podcast the best it can be. Whatever you need, Jewish Coffeehouse will work with you to make it happen and make it better than you imagined. Write to me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at jewishcoffeehouse.com and let me help you get started reaching hundreds or even thousands of people with a high-quality podcast. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>